Hey, Pinkers, I'm Mike Levy. This is the Pink Bike Podcast, and we've made it all the way to episode 79 before we've had to do an e-bike-specific show, which is exactly what's happening today. Now, we're going to be mostly positive about riding e-bikes, although I think there's plenty of room to challenge some of the things about them that don't make much sense to me and maybe you. And I should probably be honest with everybody listening. I've only ridden a handful of these new e-bikes, and I don't have one in my garage, and I don't spend a ton of time on them unless Brian tells me I have to for work, which is fine, but I'm definitely not an e-bike expert, and that's why I'm going to be asking Casimir and Seb a whole lot of questions today. Mike Casimir, thank God you're here to help me, but I do remember a very different Casimir. I knew this guy only a couple years ago. He used to tell me how he wasn't into riding e-bikes, wasn't going to ride them. It's not his thing. Have you seen that guy around anywhere? Where'd he go? Uh, he's still around in some forms. He still doesn't ride a ton of e-bikes, but I've definitely changed my tune. And I, I kind of, I don't know if gave up's the right word, but it was like when you're like trying to have your finger in the dam and then you're like, ah, screw it. And you just take your finger out and it just like the water all comes over. I think that's yeah. what happened. So I do ride e-bikes uh, pretty regularly now. Yeah. But I still so, like regular bikes the best good good that's good to hear um question for you though was there was there one ride or one moment or one thing that you were like oh dang i do love these things and i'm gonna ride them was there was there one specific incident that convinced you uh, i had a really or good time it- this past winter like we a bunch of us here in town all had e-bikes and it was just super nasty out and we would just go ride the weirdest trails when like if you went on a regular bike ride, you'd probably just get hypothermia in like half an hour. So with the <laughs> e-bike, we would just go and just mess around and do strange things. So that kind of helped convince me or at least see, see a place where they existed into my, my riding schedule, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How many e-bikes, how many times a week are you riding e-bikes, Kaz, compared to regular bikes? Usually just one or one every two weeks, usually this time of year, it seems like just it's so good for the regular bikes, but are they usually work rides? Uh, I don't really differentiate between work rides and not work rides, but every, the downside of being a <laughs> yeah. tech editor is that every ride's a work ride. Yeah. Sorry. But, uh, no, like it just kind of depends. It is usually when I don't have as much time or like a lot of times it'll be like on, like on a Monday after I had like a long weekend and don't want to ride super hard, but still want to get to some fun stuff. So I'll just take the e-bike out for an hour or two. You just take the easier way. Oh yeah, for sure. It's way easier. Yeah. It's fully like cheating is the wrong word, but it's so much easier that you like almost feel bad when you're passing people. But yeah. Yeah. All right. I know I'm going to say something about e-bikes that needs to be edited out of this podcast. So Brian Park is here as well to make sure that happens only a couple of times. Brian, we've seen a lot of people change their minds about e-bikes over the past couple of years. Were you one of those people who was initially against the idea of motors on bicycles? Or did you come around? Or were you always more open-minded than me? Uh, both of those things. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, in my time at pink bike, I was, I've always been sort of pretty understanding of e-bikes, but the first time when I used to work on the marketing side at a bike brand and the first time I heard that we were working on bringing an e-bike to market, I seriously considered quitting my job. I was, what? yeah, I was like all naive and holier than thou about it. And I mean, I still am those things too, just about other things. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, it was an interesting process and I learned a lot. And yeah, I definitely came to the conclusion that it it doesn't matter what I think. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that the truth though? Like yeah. we are in our forties. I think this decision is <laughs> long yourself, past. Buddy. 
How old are you? Yeah, I'm not in your 40, in the 40s. <laughs> I'm 35. It's only you. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, Brian, when you hit 40. I'll treat myself. Yeah. <laughs> treat yourself to a new e-motorbike. All right. We also have Seb Stott here. You guys heard him last week on the Geometry Podcast using all sorts of big words and scientific explanations to tell me that 480 millimeters of reach is the ideal number for me. He's back again this week to talk about e-bikes. Seb, if you could only ride either a regular mountain bike or an e-bike for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? I think definitely uh, normal bikes. Um, I pretty much always have an e-bike in my in my shed, but when I go out riding for fun at the weekends and things, I almost always take the regular bike. I think just because that was kind of what I grew up aspiring to. Like I never had a picture of an e-bike on my bedroom wall, but... Um, yeah, like mountain biking is, I see mountain biking and e-biking as like different sports and mountain biking is kind of the sport that I've always been like really obsessed with and wanting to get better at and wanting to ride better bikes. And then e-bikes is like really fun, but it's kind of not the sport that I'm really quite as into. Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys think there are kids out there, youngsters out there, groms out there with photos of e-bikers on their wall? Like when I, when I was growing up, I had pictures of Miles Rockwell and Nico and those people on my wall. Do you think there are people out there who have posters of e-bike riders on their wall? I guess so, eh? Uh, I don't think yet, but I did the other day I was at the pump track and the little kid had a, like one of those electric striders. Have you seen those yet? Yes. I think they sell them at moto shops, just like full throttle on a strider bike. He had little tiny moto boots and he was just causing carnage. It was kind of amazing and also kind of like kid go home, but like he would just go through and everybody would like tip over. All the other little kids would get like knocked out by this one kid on the e-bike. So I bet he could have a picture of an e-bike around his wall. I, I think e-bike marketing has kind of gone outside the industry to inside the industry and gone from the from a much older prospective buyer because you know, the, the bike industry could sell you something that was vaguely shaped like what Miles Rockwell was riding when you were 16. But the bike industry can't sell 16-year-old kids today, the thing, you know, a $14,000 e-bike. So, you know, that's not where they're spending a lot of their efforts right now. Yeah. Much like how there's going to be an entire generation of riders, maybe that's already riding, that have never used front derailleurs, there's also going to be an entire generation of riders who have never ridden anything but an e-bike. That's wild, eh? I mean, there's plenty of people that only ridden motorcycles and never been mountain biking. Yeah, 100%. Because it's way harder to ride a mountain bike. You're not going to, if you, if you spent a few years riding e-bikes, do you think people are going to ride normal mountain bikes? I don't think so. I don't think it grows the sport of mountain biking. It grows the sport of e-biking, though. Yeah, I agree. I've always thought it's silly where lots of companies try to say, like, it's a way to get people in the sport. You're like, well, it gets them into e-biking and then probably into motorcycling, like yeah, exactly. dirt biking. <laughs> like, you're like, I wish I had a throttle. I'm like, oh, sweet. You can buy a thing with a throttle for half the price of this e-bike I bought. Well, bye, guys. I'm a, yeah. a dirt biker now. Like, All right. Our British friend James Smurthwaite isn't here today. So Casimir is going to read the news for us instead. Kaz, did you see that shitstorm that Henry caused with his article about standards? There were some yeah. angry people there. People got really mad, but it's perfect because that's what op-eds do. And Henry has some I, strong opinions and some really funny ways to explain They were it. wrong, so, though. <laughs> well, yeah, but we'll get Henry on one of these days what, again what, to defend himself. Why? I mean, it's. I saw a lot of people who are like in some, some sort of like competing 
ideas where it was like, I'm going to take this brave editorial opinion about how mountain bikes should be lighter and cheaper and stronger and more compatible and also they should be more environmentally friendly and they should be made in made domestically it's like wow what a what a brave controversial stance you've had you've made here (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i mean he had some points that were Uh weren't horrible in there like it's Mm -hmm. i mean standards are a lot of times silly but it's also you don't want to have it so that there's like one overarching rule where you can't you can't try new things. Basically, it's what you don't want to see in the mountain bike industry. You know, you want these guys making crazy stuff in their garages that could potentially change the sport. So if everyone's too afraid to try something different, but yeah, I don't think we need another axle standard right now. But you know, if something is better, yeah. So I think what we're going to do is probably do a podcast about that op-ed about standards next week. So if you guys have some questions, some bigger picture questions about standards, standards that you think actually make sense. Definitely hit us up in the comment section and we'll hit on them next week. All right. Well, in the news this week, the big news is obviously world champs. That was, those are going to be the, the biggest stories, the most exciting racing for cross country and downhill. I'm sure you guys all watched that. Levy can't the stop boss. smiling. He's still smiling. Nobody listened to me. Everybody said he's washed up. I knew it was coming. He was tapering for world champs. He's done it again. That's Do true. you guys he- know he's the youngest elite world champ winner and also the oldest elite world champ winner what a boss i know and for those who don't know what he's talking about he's talking about nino scherter one world champs again ninth world champs i think for him yeah 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 that's impressive xc world champs very fast and that's then in the women yeah it is. It's i don't crazy. know crazy yeah that's a huge I saw some some comments saying like oh so-and-so wasn't there this person wasn't there but I feel like like this is this is how racing works. Like Pidcock and Vanderpool, those guys are going to be at races in the future where their toughest competitors aren't there or have a breakdown of some sort, mechanical breakdown. It's kind of just like how racing is. And Nino was the best on the day yet again, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. I love how and for the women, Evie Richards won. <laughs> yeah, Levy just can't stop giggling about it. He's been giddy i love i love how (laughs) much levy how much levy lives vicariously through nino Mm -hmm. yeah if he has a good day levy has a good day (laughs) i wish i wish anybody loved me as much as levy loves nino (laughs) (laughs) am i older than nino how old is nino do we know um i don't know how old Nino is. i bet you're older than him you're pretty old yeah i don't think he's 40 yet yeah, but speaking of almost 40, the men's downhill world champion, Greg Minar. So good. So good. I think he turns 40 in November. Is that right? Incredible. Yeah. Now. So yeah. yeah, that was amazing run. And I remember another... him. Sorry, Kaz. I remember him winning world champs on a, a mixed together intense. that was like part Uzi, part M1, painted blue and white with the Haro logo on the side of it. Do you guys remember that? I can, I remember the era where everyone was riding those intenses. Yeah. I can picture yeah. it. Yeah. I think he had an orange in there somewhere. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, the whole race was amazing. And at the end when he, he wrote in the, in the gold Sharpie on his top tube, just put in his next win. Cause there was already a little list of all the wins and medals he's had at world champs. And he just like yeah. writes in another. To be that consistent over such a long period of time, bikes have changed so much. Geometry has have changed so much. Courses have evolved and here he is still winning. Yeah. 
and just to be able to be, I mean, there's so many fast, like 20 year old French kids out there now. And he just puts down that run. And did you guys see when Loic Bruni crossed the line and kind of pointed his finger at Greg? It was so good. It was just nice little, just kind of like, oh, you did it. Like it was such a good, I want someone else to find that clip somewhere, but yeah, it was really cool. Just like a good, good, like classic race. And most people were there. There weren't any like super gnarly crashes. It's just like no weather messed it up. So yeah, that was an awesome world champs. Well, Greg Menard might've stole the show and Levy's crush on Nino Scherter also is in full force. But for the women, we had Evie Richards. She took the win for the XC women. Um, and then in the downhill world, we had Miriam Nicole. She won, just beat Marie and Cabaru out for the gold there. We should probably also talk about this gong show with the UCI and Loana Lecompte being made to race U23. I feel like that's 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 didn't she win all the world cups and they were gonna i know there's rules but isn't that crazy it doesn't seem fair yeah it seems silly you should be able to bump up a category i feel like if you want to well like especially because she gets to bump up a category race against the older elites all year long it's not like she's racing junior during the year uh u23 during the during the season so I yeah. don't, I don't know. Maybe somebody in the comments can let me know why that rule makes sense because it sure doesn't seem fair. Yeah, it's strange, but I guess how, how many years till she gets to race? Yeah. Either way. But yeah, that's a weird rule. It feels like if you want to bump up, cause it's going to be harder. Technically you should be allowed to make that choice, but right. either way, I guess we should talk about, well, speaking about under 23, the juniors, Jackson Goldstone, world champ. Yes. Like that's pretty impressive for, I mean, it doesn't seem like that long ago where he was just like hucking off for tiny walls on his strider bike, right? Like, isn't he still eight years old? What the heck? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Sure he is. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So congrats to Jackson there. Uh, junior women, Isabella Yankova. I've got to admit, I don't know who that is, but that's, I mean, it's great. The junior crop, like the next crop of people coming up, it's going to be some good racing on the way. Let's talk some tech. Let's talk tech. Some cool stuff happening. I know there is racing is cool too, though. That's what I was doing. But didn't you have a spark review? I did, and that's related to Nino Scherter. So that's a nice little tie in there. (laughs) I didn't have the racy one though. I had the uh, the Spark RC is the like the the race oriented one, and this was the 900 version. Um, So that's a little little. It's not the Richard Cunningham. (laughs) That's the one. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's RC's signature edition. No, I had the Spark 900. So. This one, it's kind of their downcountry bike. They, I think they even use the word downcountry somewhere in their marketing material, but 120 mils rear travel, 130 millimeter fork, shock inside the frame. Kaz, it looks like it's from the future. Does it ride like it's from the future? It also has geo that's a lot like the spur. Yeah, and I, I made a comparison in there because it's the geometry is almost identical to the spur, but they do ride fairly differently. Um, I like what they did here. There's still always a thing, like it's got the twin lock system, so you have three different levers on the left-hand side of the bar. It's kind of complicated. You have an integrated bar stem combo. You also have uh, spacers that spacers under the headset that are like a different size. So it's all kind of mm. different. Um, I would so what do you do when you want to lower or raise your handlebar? <laughs> this got, this is a good one in the comments. There's people telling me I was, well, yeah, either the way you do it, basically they split spacers. So the bottom three spacers are split. So you can undo those and then you can lower the stem, put a normal size, spacer on the top to see if that size is correct and then cut your steer tube if that was the correct size so it's not as easy as those spacers have to be split because your hoses are going down through there exactly yes Uh yeah i see and if you want to switch the whole thing the very top spacer actually isn't split so if you needed to swap stuff out you have to like run it's 
it's kind of silly. Like, yeah. It's just way a, more hassle than a regular bike. I have a BMC gravel bike that has a similar setup and I've had to take it apart a few times, just like chasing creeks and stuff. Holy crap. You know, yeah. that's a pain in the ass, dude. Yeah, it's just when did you, you run, take, did you take the front end of the scar apart? Um, yeah, I messed with it. Like I didn't switch it around. Luckily the, like that was what I was happy with. When the bike came, I kind of made a conscious decision to like not change too much right away. Cause just want to see how it was out of the box and out of the box it actually fit me pretty well like it has a 60 mil stem and 760 bars which isn't my typical numbers but with the geometry of the bike it does work pretty well yeah but yeah. if you needed something else you know higher rise anything it's going to be kind of a pain yeah. did you have ever uh take the shock out because i had the bold unplugged which was like almost so bold got bought out by scott and it had the same internal shock design and if you wanted to like add a volume spacer or something it was a real pain yeah, for sure. That too, because you have to, like, there's a little port in the side. You have to stick a six mil Allen key through the side of the frame and the seat tube. And then you have to like, kind of compress it a little bit so you can access that, um, that shock bolt. And it's definitely a lot more finicky. And I could see some home mechanics being pretty frustrated by this thing. So there's that side of it. There's, that's kind of like the downside to the futuristic looks. You've hidden away things that are usually easy to access. So Kaz, you've had the spur for a while. You've got the spark now. Similar geometry, similar travel. Which one are you taking home? I'm taking the Spurt because it fits my riding style. Like I, I like technical climbing. Um, that's all fine. I enjoy a hard climb, but I also like the descents even more. So with the Spur, I can get up all the climbs. It doesn't hold me back at all. But then on the descents, it does feel better than the Spark. But like for you, Levy, you'd be interested to see what you thought of this bike because it this bike is a climber's bike. Like it's lighter. I think it's like two pounds lighter than the Spur in, in a similar build probably. Um, and it just has that little, it's a little bit shorter. So it just kind of wiggles its way through the techie things better. Yeah. And that little lever, it does firm it up. It gives it 80 mils of travel, um, drops down from 120. So, uh, yeah, it just, it feels better if you're, if you're into climbing, if climbing is more your focus spark, if you want more descending for a short travel bike, uh, the spur is the way to go. I would, I would love to see a, uh, pink bike edition build of a spark. Yeah, that'd be fun. I mean, even they make that aluminum moment. I know it's a lot heavier, but it's so heavy. in my mind, I saw the aluminum one and I wanted to put like a coil shock in it and make it silly, but sorry, the design doesn't work for aluminum. Like they've just made it look, they've spent so much uh, weight just making it look like the carbon one. It's so heavy. Yeah, but it looks cool. It I does look it's heavy, but, but yeah, what I would change on this, I mean, I wouldn't change a ton really. I'd put some meteor tires on it. It has those Schwabby wicked, wicked wheels. Um, which are appropriate, but I'd at least swap out the front just to have a, a little more grip. Like it's been so dusty and dry here lately. The wicked wheel, it's fine in the rear. I can get along with it, but in the front, I definitely washed the, like the front got away from me. I'd say three solid times where I was like, Oh, like <laughs> I was out the last, one of the last days on the bike, I was out with the photographer and some, somehow in our conversation, I mentioned like, Oh yeah, the tires are right. But the front one goes sometimes and we're going down a hill and I just ate shit just like right in front of me. He's like, Oh, that's that tire. Huh? I was like, yeah. <laughs> so I'd swap that ideally maybe like a little longer dropper post that's going to make somebody get mad right now but you it's hard to do that with this uh this configuration so i'd probably stick with that 150 so i don't know overall the way it comes is pretty appropriate but it'd be cool you do bar and stem you do maybe a different shock yeah i'd put a 40 mil rise bar on it and a 40 mil stem oh yeah there's all that stuff there's a whole get rid of twin lock not easily you have to go remember i did that with the was it the ransom i did a couple years ago where i kind of got rid of it it's tricky. So as it comes, it is a good bike. There's things I'd like to change. And I kind of went into it in more detail in the review, but, um, 
it's interesting. Not quite my cup of tea, but I'm I can appreciate that they're doing it. And they did a good job. The future. Yeah, I don't think it's the future, but it's it's cool. And for someone, they're going to love it. Like it is a fast, fun bike, but there are some quirks that you should be aware of before purchasing one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. What else do we have this week in the news? We had, I guess we had Jesse Melamed's video. That was kind of cool. That's not exactly tech related at all, but Jesse had a little like clever animated video. We had like I'm a devil and a angel figure on his shoulders and zipping I around. Like Tiny Jesse. Jesse I did too. a great job with that. <laughs> yeah. Tiny Jesse in the Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, a little party, party Jesse versus party Jesse. Yeah, yeah. So, good. Yeah. Um, we should also talk about the Audi nines video was quite sick for, it's like, it's definitely a spectacle kind of thing. Not what we typically think of as like a competition or whatever, but they did a really good job. And some of the ladies were absolutely sending in that car. Yeah. First front flip on a mountain bike by Caroline Buchanan. Yeah. That was cool. And then the course looked better this year than usual yeah. from what I remember. It looks like so they good. used like the whole quarry and then they had some drone footage, just chasing them around and. The things people are doing on bikes now, it makes me jealous. I don't know how to do any of them. We're only We're going so backwards, old. Taz. We're going I know, backwards. I, know. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do front flip heel clickers. I'm so old. <laughs> don't worry. They'll have an e-bike category for you next year. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking of e-bikes, let's get into our discussion. Now, this is where we would usually answer a whole bunch of reader questions. But last episode, I asked you guys for your e-bike questions. So we're going to save those more towards the end of the podcast. There's a whole bunch of them. Keep listening. Maybe your question's in there. So e-bikes. First, I know some of you out there aren't the biggest fans of these things, and that's just fine as long as you're not going to be a dick about it. I'm going to be mean to Casimir, but I'm the host of those rules. Don't apply to me, everybody. And besides, (laughs) you're only going to be seeing more and more of these e-bikes out on the trail, regardless of my or your poor attitude about them and how others spend their time in the forest. All right, guys, I remember when e-bikes first started to show up on the homepage, savage comments. Everybody was super, super angry, uh, almost as angry as they were under that podcast with Robin Thurston last week. (laughs) (laughs) But... We should also point out there's been a huge shift in attitude over the last few years. Nowadays, I click on an e-bike article, I look at the comments, and there are only a couple dozen really angry people in there instead of three to four or five hundred. Brian, why do you think it is? Did something change? Are people just being nicer? I even remember a ton of pinkers saying they would never buy a mountain bike from any company that also sold e-bikes. I well, love pinkers, that. everybody sells e-bikes now. <laughs> <laughs> what changed, Brian? I, I do want to, I want to go back and find those people and see, see what they're riding now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what changed? Well, I think the on builder. the brand. Oh, well, the filter helps, but also people learn to filter in their brains. You know, like the, the world didn't end with e-bikes, their own like regular bikes keep kept being fun. And, you know, people got older, got used to them, seeing them around, tried their friends, e-bikes, like understood their place in the sport a little more. Like ultimately, I still think lots of people aren't interested in e-mountain bike stuff in a core mountain bike website. And I mean, that's great. I'm honestly kind of one of them, but people don't feel as attacked or triggered seeing e-mountain bike stuff in like their space anymore. So, you know, they just are more okay scrolling past it like they would 
something else they weren't interested in, an XC article or the way Levy scrolls past videos of people doing flippy spinny shit, you know? Um, I don't know, Brent, brands sell e-mountain e bikes because people want them, simple as that. They exist to make money. Um, and I think people have just started to be, to just understand that and understand that their little angry comment isn't going to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of us felt threatened. Like, I don't know about you guys, mm -hmm. but I have a lot of time invested in this freaking sport. Like 26 or something years of trying really hard <laughs> of working to be fit, working to be technically decent-ish, okay. And I think for me, thinking back, less so now, but thinking back, you know, three, four years when e-bikes started showing up, on the, on the webpage more and more, I think I could admit that I did feel threatened, Kaz. Like, I felt like, you know, I work real hard to be able to jump on my bike and go climb, you know, five, six, seven thousand feet some rides and be fit enough and strong enough to enjoy it the entire time. And I could admit that, yeah, I felt, I feel threatened or I felt threatened by it. Did you think that yeah. was a factor for people? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even like, I remember when Carl, the owner, one of the owners of Pink Bike, told me that we'd be reviewing e-bikes at a certain point. I was, I was not happy. Like, I just didn't think that that was the way it should go. <clears throat> I think some of that comes to when e-bikes first came out. And even now, you still see people or hear people say that they're going to replace regular mountain bikes. There'll be no more mountain bikes. And that really made me, even still make me feel more threatened than the fact that they exist. I think so they I think still at that might, point, Kaz. I think they still might. But we're going to talk about yeah, that. We'll later get that later. But yeah, but like that, that kind of like thing, like, oh, you'll never ride a regular mountain bike again, made me even more up in arms than like, you have to try this out. But um, yeah. So one of the big concerns with people was the environmental threat or the assumed environmental threat that they pose over regular mountain bikes. And the thinking there is either people could do more runs because they're not as tired because they have a motor helping them, they could get to the top faster, um, or because they're putting down a hell of a lot more power, it's going to cause more trail damage. Sebstot, do you think the assumed environmental threat they pose was overblown or... Is that still an issue? And in the UK, how have e-bikes been accepted or not by mountain bikers? Um, I think w with the environmental thing, there's kind of two things going on. W one is the the idea that they cause more trail erosion. Um, and I, say, I think they do in so much as you can do more runs on an e-bike, but then so can someone who's just got more time, you know, so that doesn't really stand up. Um, yeah, they, they're heavier and they produce more power, but... I think the the impact that has on trail erosion, I don't really know what you know what the numbers are, but I, I doubt if it's a a very big deal. Um, the the other thing that people th talk about is like the environmental impact of making batteries, um, which is obviously like quite a lot in the, in the news at the moment with like electric vehicles and what have you. Um, so I actually did a bit of looking into this um, for an article at my previous employer about the environmental impact of cycling. Um, and I found a study where they, they worked out the environmental impact of making a, a regular bike and then the environmental impact of making, uh, an e-bike in terms of like all the carbon dioxide that comes from all the like industrial processes that go into making them. And I think the numbers were something like, uh, 95 kilograms of CO2 to make a normal bike and then like 120 kilos to make an e-bike. So yeah, it's more 
but it's not like vastly more like if you've got you know if you've got like two three bikes in your in your fleet that's probably going to have a higher manufacturing uh impact than having one e-bike so yeah it's worse but it's not hugely worse i think the real thing with all of the environmental impacts is if you can buy less and better bikes and hold them for longer and run them for longer and be okay with not having the latest and greatest for a few years that's going to make a much bigger difference than whether or not it's an e-bike i think so yeah yeah that's that's the thing that i would agree on too it's just don't buy the stuff everybody like i i feel like the some of the people that would complain about that you know they either have a brand new car or a car that's only a couple years old or they go buy their starbucks like we're all doing bullshit things we're all doing bullshit things and what we need is like a couple less tankers going across the ocean you know that makes much a much bigger difference. I'm not saying that we shouldn't not care about where the batteries come from, and the batteries are definitely part of a bigger, very important picture. Um, but as far as environmental impacts go, like when I go for a bike ride, my rear brake is locked the entire ride. <laughs> so I have a hard time getting angry at people riding e-bikes causing environmental damage, Seb. Yeah, I think the, the probably the biggest factor in terms of like your environmental impact from cycling or mountain biking for a lot of people is how much do you drive to go ride like uh the nearest bike park to me is like 40 miles away so it's like an 80 mile round trip that produces like quite a lot of carbon dioxide and and other pollutants from driving my diesel car there and back so like if i can ride an e-bike and not go not go to the bike park not not rely on an uplift as much then you know that might even be, be better like I think it's it's like a classic example of like post hoc reasoning where people go, I don't like e-bikes for whatever reason. And then mm-hmm. say, oh, I heard that they produce more environmental impact for whatever reason. Let's, you know, I'll say that that's the reason. And yeah, like making batteries takes a lot of energy. But yeah, as I say, like there are bigger, bigger fish to fry on that front. Like how much stuff do you buy in general? How much do you drive? What kind of car do you drive? That Those are bigger factors. There are so many bad faith arguments that get made about e-bikes and things of, of it's not a real mountain bike or it's a, it's, it's not. Um, <laughs> well, okay. Well, we don't need to act. Frick, it has a motor. A, it is, it is a motorcycle. Yes. It's but, literally a different sport. <laughs> we, should we should go on this now. It's not really a oh different Lord. sport. I mean, <laughs> it's okay, let's start. We can start with the, let's just start with, are they real mountain bikes? Sure. Like, because it's a silly one, and, and it's a, I think it's a semantics issue. Like, what do you what do you call it? Like, it's an electric mountain bike. How is that an inaccurate term? I think bicycles are human powered, and I don't think a motor helping you on the trail means that you're riding a bicycle. I think you're riding a motorbike that has a throttle controlled by your pedal inputs. <laughs> yeah, a motor bicycle. A motor bicycle. I, okay, I, no, wait, 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 wait. Let me just also say that. I couldn't care less what anybody is riding out there, Kaz. Yesterday, I was up on Valley Cliff. I ran into this guy riding a Norco Orem DH bike, and he had a like an eBay electrical conversion kit on it, and all this stuff that he rigged together. There's like wires everywhere. It weighed 95 pounds. This guy was having the time of his life. He had a throttle on the left-hand side. He could just push the button, and he would go flying up the hill without pedals. I don't care. It doesn't matter yeah. to me. I mean, that's a motorcycle. Yeah, and so are e-bikes. But I don't care that people are riding them. But they're yeah. not a motorcycle. They don't have a throttle. No, he sounds, like, 
it's Levy not a sounds like a man who doesn't care here. He really sounds yeah, exactly. like he doesn't care, doesn't care about yeah, how his voice is getting angry. <laughs> 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 getting Alex Jones on you and my face is going all red. Yeah, you're so red. Spitting. <laughs> Uh, like what, I mean, when you say it's like not real mountain biking, it's almost like a way to diminish it. No, 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 like, no, 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 no. I don't mean it. I don't mean it in that way. I, I don't mean like when kept. these. Ugh, no, there's definitely you guys. There's people in Squamish that ride those one wheel things on the trails. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I could that's not mountain biking. <laughs> yeah, that's not mountain biking. Either. We can agree on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But all I'm saying is is it's yeah i mean i i have fun on them you know i do have fun riding them um, i'm not like normally so wishy-washy but i don't see the harm in defining mountain biking as whatever you like whatever the rider sees as mountain biking like if you feel you're mountain biking then you probably are yeah, I, know, it's pretty cool. mountain. <laughs> I have one rule for this podcast it's get off the fence and you're on the fence <laughs> I think it's fine. I just think the term is fine. Like, I, I, we, I don't want to rename things. Remember when, like, we used to not call enduro bikes enduro bikes because the word enduro was silly and it still is? Yeah. I think it's one of those, like, battles that's not even worth fighting. Just call it an electric mountain bike. It's an EMTB or whatever. E-bike. EMTB. It's an like, e-bike. It seems pretty it's normal. An e-bike. It's an yeah. e-bike. It's an e-bike. And you're going to go mountain biking. You're going to go mountain biking. No, you're not. E-bike. You're going e-bike. What are you doing? You're going e-biking. E-mountain biking? No, you're going e-biking. <laughs> no, I'm going to go up the mountain on a bicycle and down the mountain on the bicycle. Seb, it's mountain biking. Seb Stott, can you come I, in I here think, and just? I think fix I am somewhere in between <laughs> the mics. I think um, I think of e-biking as a slightly different sport. <sighs> Get off the fence. I'm not on the fence. I see there's mountain biking, there's electric mountain biking, which is a very similar but slightly different sport. But it's not. It's nothing like motorcycling. It's much. It's much closer to bicycling than riding a motorcycle. Uh, so when people say, "Oh, it's got a motor, mm-hmm. therefore it's a motorcycle," it's like. No, it's like very similar to riding a bicycle, but it's not the same. It's 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 e-biking. It's its own thing. That's what I think. It makes I, me feel like Nino Scherter, Levy. This is your closest you'll ever get to feeling like Nino. You get the motor on the bike. I've ridden with Nino. I need more than a motor. <laughs> I just want to say that I use a motor to ride a bicycle all the time, even when I don't have a motor actually attached to my bicycle. So I don't see the difference. You go e-biking all the time. No, I I drive my car to somewhere or my motorcycle to somewhere and then I oh. ride my bike from there. Yeah. So I used a yeah. I used I, a motor to ride bikes. Whatever. It's the same. Yeah. I wonder I wonder two two or three years from now, we're re-listening to this podcast. I wonder how stupid I'm gonna sound. Probably pretty stupid. I mean, this is the first time though. Really. This is the like, first time you sound <laughs> <yeah>. stupid. <laughs> this when is it. <laughs> Only the first time. <laughs> I mean, it just I the, for me, it's just like a silly debate. Like, like I said, it's a semantics, a word debate where like, there's no point in debating that. Like, this is a bike that allows you to go ride in the mountains and it has a motor on it. Like, who cares? I just don't know what the well, argument is. No, there's no argument. I, there's yeah. no argument. <laughs> I feel like we've just been arguing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's move past this argument. Let's talk about the different types of e-bikes. Cause there are two or three of them. Now, I know some of you out there listening already know this, but let's just pretend that I don't know anything about e-bikes for the next hour-ish or so. We're just pretending, though, everybody. <laughs> so, Kaz, is it fair to say that e-bikes are more segregated by battery size and power by how much tr- than by how much travel they have? Yeah, I'd say that's fair. That's fair. Um, there's not a not a ton of really short travel e-bikes out there, at least that we that we typically cover. They exist, but 
e-bikes tend to have a little more travel than you might have in like their mm-hmm. um in the Why regular mountain bike world because you have a motor to help you out it doesn't really matter efficiency isn't as big of an issue when you have the motor assisting you up the hill um, but then and then the, yeah like you're right though the biggest difference is kind of like how much power they're putting out and yeah battery size is a part of that weight basically so you kind of yeah. have your these lighter weight ones um with less power that kind of feel closer to a regular mountain bike and then you have the pull, full power ones that are in that 50 pound range um, but with all the power and big batteries yeah how much do the light light so-called light e-bikes weigh has um, about 36 pounds i think around there i mean that's, that's pretty the, reasonable absolute bleeding edge of lightweight though you know it's sub 40 versus yeah it's like 36 to 40 yeah yeah so but but they're about yeah 10 pounds lighter than their full powered equivalents and so you got like the orbea rise the uh uh specialized um with the new knievo sl and then there's the stump jumper version of that one too the levo sl so those are kind of two examples or three examples and they have less range and less power than full-size d-bikes yeah so they're putting out like the the specialized, I think it's 35 Newton meters of torque. And that's compared to 85 Newton meters on like a full, um, full power one. Yeah. And then I think the Orbe is kind of in the middle. I think they've got that motor tuned to 65 Newton meters. So that's kind of, it's a lighter weight one, but not quite as underpowered as the specialized are. Okay. Um, yeah. Seb, have you ridden any of these more lightweight e-bikes and do they ride more like a normal bike like if if i was to get on a lightweight e-bike would i approach riding more like i was on a normal bike or do you still approach it like you're on an e-bike uh yeah i've ridden the uh specialized levo sl um and yeah it feels a lot more like a normal bike um so i think that one the one i rode it wasn't the top spec one but it was still like uh 17 and a half 18 kilos I have no idea what that is in pounds, um, but it's like heavier than a normal bike, but not so much that it's like it's three point two stone. Oh my god! I mean, imperial units can't even agree on what's the best unit for weight. Uh, so it's seventeen and a half kilos, and I'm going to leave it at that. Um, and yeah, it, it feels yeah. a lot more. It's under forty pounds. It feels a lot more like a regular bike. Um, but I think the other thing, probably more important than weight, in my view, is um, is the geometry. And a lot of e-bikes have quite a long chainstay to fit around that motor. And if you combine like a really heavy battery at the front of the bike with a really long chainstay at the back, it, it's really hard even just to get to the get it to manual up to the balance point or to like hop over a, a tree stump or what have you. So, um, in terms of riding like a regular bike. Uh, I think the chainstay length has as much of an impact on that as overall weight, especially when you look at back in the day, a lot of e-bikes had like 470, 480 mil chainstays. And when it weighs 25 kilos as well, that's like really hard work to even get the front wheel off the ground. Um, So yeah, the chainstay length is important too. Mm -hmm. What would you guys choose if you guys were going to ride an e-bike for the next two years? Kaz, would you choose one of these lightweight ones, like the Rebea Rise or the Specialized Kinevo SL, or would you go more full-sized? Is this, do I get to keep my regular mountain bike, too? No, 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 you don't. Uh, hmm. That'd be a hard one, because like like Seb said, the, the lighter ones do feel more like regular mountain biking, which I enjoy, but I like the full-power ones. I'd probably go full-power, just because it is, it is a different 
different experience. Um, Did you just almost say it's a different sport? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's totally different, but it's still mountain biking though. So I don't want to say it's a different sport, but it's a very different experience. It's not the same as your regular, like you don't even ride the same trails. You don't ride the same way. So it's a very different thing. It's like the difference between, I don't know, cross country skiing and downhill skiing. Like they're very different. Levy doesn't know because he's only went skiing once and got giant blisters. But if he had been skiing, either way, he would know. But yeah, so like on the, I'd probably pick the full power one. I like the, I like the speed that allows you to go up the hill. I like, I do like the weight in some instances going downhill. It can feel, I mean, it reminds me of riding a downhill bike. Like the way that weight lets you push into the corners and when you're landing, the suspension feels super good on those bikes. So um, I'd probably go full power and extra range so you can go out for a couple hours, three hours or whatever and not have to worry about your battery. So you would use a range extender on that as well, too? No, that, uh, the full-size bikes now have like 700 watt to even get 900 watt hour batteries on the Norco. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I have that Levo I ride a fair bit. Uh, the latest version that has a 700, might be 725 watt hour battery, and that's that's plenty. It's good. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Would you choose a relatively light e-bike or would you choose the big, big daddy, fat boy? Uh, if I'm... I, I I've enjoyed both. I find the light ones kind of frustrating. Um, it's just, it's not, it's just not quite enough. Like I, I don't think we need to go dramatically over that sort of like 85. To, I'm sure we're going to see some higher powered e-bikes. I think there are a couple non, non-standard Bosch or Shimano ones out there that are pushing a hundred Newton meters, but I don't think we need to go crazy above that. Um, in the future, I just, yeah, the, the, the skim milk ones kind of, they're just kind of frustrating. But if, if you're, if you're asking about my own, it being my only bike, my only mountain bike, oh, that's a tough one. Um, because it is, it is so different from what I would normally ride. Would you say that it's a big factor in that decision might be who you're riding with. Like if your friends yeah. have big e-bikes, small e-bikes or normal bikes, and you just want an e-bike, you'd probably choose a lighter weight e-bike with less power. To- totally. It's a, that's a, e-biking is definitely a more, uh, it levels the playing field for more people to ride together. Um, you know, there's some people here that I, I know, right? Levy's like, oh, <laughs> this is the real reason Levy doesn't like e-bikes. <laughs> Turns mountain biking his his little, a pain cave thing into a social sport has to talk to people gross um but yeah i think i think it does kind of segregate the riding styles a bit yeah i think in some ways it's kind of the opposite because um like i i have friends around here who now only have an e-bike and it's like well if i only had a, a regular bike i probably wouldn't be able to go riding with them uh or vice versa and now that we have these kind of semi-skimmed mm-hmm. e-bikes it's like I think if you've got like a Levo SL and your mates have like the full power Levo, you're going to be left behind probably. So it's kind of like we have three different categories now of, of, of yeah. mountain bike. Yeah. And it's kind of difficult to ride together with people in different categories. But but that's always been the case in mountain bikes. It's It's been hard for somebody on an XC bike to go out with somebody on a downhill bike. Um, you know, and that, that's, that's always I, yep. what I meant when I said it's more social is... I can go and ride with somebody who's way stronger than me on an e-bike and where the playing feels a little bit more level. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, totally. The bummer happens when like, say some guy buys his $15,000 
a guy buys the $15,000 Levo SL and then somebody buys the $15,000 regular Levo. Then they try to ride and then they realize they can't ride together because it doesn't really work. I, I think the price is something we probably don't want to go too deep into here. But I will say that if I was spending my own money on an e-bike I would, and it was 15 grand or whatever, I think I would really struggle to not have all the power. I think I'd be super frustrated to have a, a, a non-full power e-bike after spending that much money. Yeah. I, guys, what what would determine whether somebody wants a lightweight e-bike or a full-size e-bike? Does that come down to um, the terrain or how they want to ride the bike? What are some factors that might come into play there? I think some of it has to do with the appeal of a bike feeling more like a regular bike. Like you want it to feel like the regular mountain bike. So the terrain, I don't think is a, is a part because you do have bikes like that. The Kinevo is the, it's even slacker than the regular specialized enduro. So it's basically a, a motorized enduro, just with the SL version. Um, so yeah, I think, and a lot of it does have to come with what their friends are riding. Like I know there's groups of people, they all kind of have this style of bike and other ones have this style of bike. So, and some people, the weight is more of a factor. Like they don't want to have to try to muscle that, you know, 50 pounds around that that's more of a deterrent to them. So yeah, I'd say it's kind of what riding experience you're looking for. If you don't mind it, it feels totally different than regular mountain biking. That full power one's going to be fun. But if you want it to be close to the regular mountain biking, the lighter ones can do it. Uh, I just, I'm going to revise my answer. If I was going to have one, I would buy the full fat one because I live across the bridge from the shore. So it's, it would be a 10 kilometers to the trails every time first. And so I'd want that battery and power to just get there as quickly as possible to the actual trails do you guys use the different modes or is it just all turbo all the time yeah depends i use the different modes Who depends the hell right? like turbo oh. doesn't work so turbo doesn't work if you're in technical single track if you're in technical single track climbing and you're in turbo you'll yeah. just loop out or like crash into trees so you'll just loop out or crash into trees yeah, we can go. You'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll challenge you to a ride where you can't leave turbo and I can, and we'll see who survives. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And I usually no. turn it off. I turn the motor down to either off or to the eco mode for descending typically on the really? sense that I'm going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the last thing I want is to go to pedal and I like gnarly exposed corner and just like zip off the trail. Right. Like I'm riding like proper steep, like, you know, real downhill trails on these. So yeah, for sure. The power on the descent is sketchy. Kaz, on a descent, you're on an e-bike, the motor's turned off. Are you ever faster on that descent on a heavy e-bike than you would be on a normal bike? Then I could be. If it was like a fully gravity-fueled descent, like if there was no pedaling, I could see it could be faster. Like that yeah. weight is, the way the way that weight works and the way the bike feels, I could definitely be quicker, I think. Okay. What about you, I Seth? think it depends on the descent. There are, there are some descents, so if it's like fast and and kind of rough and you're just sort of holding on kind of like um maybe like the the top section at fort william where it's super rough and fast i think e-bikes on terrain like that are just so planted so settled and the suspension works so much better um and it's like it's it just it smooths out the terrain way better but then if you're in like slow awkward like kind of tight ruts and stuff then it's it's a lot harder work to move that bike about so it really depends on the terrain, but I think on on some tracks, yeah, I think a good e-bike would be faster. Okay. So both of you guys, Seb and Kaz, you've ridden a couple different full-fat e-bikes already this year, well, many different e-bikes this year. Is there any of them that stand out to you, Kaz? Is there a model of e-bike that you've been especially impressed with this year? 
Uh, I keep going back to that Levo just because that's the one that kind of like checks all the boxes for me it, because it, the motor's quiet, which is one thing we haven't really talked about. But some of these bikes are kind of noisy, like not so much that you would distract other people on the trail necessarily, but like when I'm you're not sitting sure on about it, that, Kaz. That, but like you're going to zip by, you, you can't hear it from a distance. It's not like a motorcycle. Like you can True. hear a motor yep. coming, but like, yeah, like you're going to say probably that Canevo SL, the motor that's in the, the SL ones, it's, uh, it's a, let me try to think. What's the motor? It's not a. Fazula? Fazula? Is it a Fazula? Fazula? No, it's, it's a brushless instead of belt driven. Is that right? Or it's belt. I can't, I'm, re- I'm messing up the terminology here. Sorry. But either way, that motor that's in the, um, in those ones, it's pretty loud. Like it's got this whine. But it doesn't have that on the on the uh, the big full power version. So that one's nice and quiet. So the, the bike I've been enjoying is that Levo full power, very quiet, adjustable geometry, so I can have it super slack and yeah, with things. Yeah. What about you, Seb? Are there any e-bikes that have impressed you this year? Which one? Are there any bikes that are on like the the forefront of e-bike technology, whatever that means? <laughs> um, I I really enjoyed riding the Nukeproof Megawatt recently. Um. Not because there's kind of anything spectacular going on with like the motor or anything. It's just got really, uh, really good geometry for my, for my preferences, and and the suspension works really well. Uh, I think they got the shock tunes really good. Uh, a lot of e-bikes in the old days had kind of really firm compression tunes because of they're heavier. But um, with the Nukeproof went for quite a light compression tune, a quite light damping tune, and that kind of makes it feel a bit more kind of lively and active. So. Uh, yeah, the the combination of the geometry and the suspension on the bike just worked really well. And uh, even though it's heavy, I find it uh, reasonably mm-hmm. easy to move around. Uh, but it's super stable as well when you're kind of trucking on through kind of rocky sections. So, yeah, I really enjoyed that bike. thought it was really well sorted. Are there, what are a couple things on e-bikes that maybe are more important than on a regular bike, Seb? Like, is is geometry more important than on a normal bike because you could be going faster in certain places? Or, I mean, brakes? That's an obvious one to me. Yeah, I, I'd say brakes and tires. Um, but with an e-bike, I think it, it's, it's inherently more stable because there's more weight in the frame. And the suspension just works better because of the weight of the frame as well. So, like, you can get away with more. Like you can get away with uh, worse geometry, steeper head angle. You can get away with worse suspension. Um, but yeah, brakes, you want really powerful brakes and you want really uh, thick casing tires. Otherwise, you'll get punctures all the time. And just generally, the components need to be really robust. So like strong wheels, um, you know, the chain, the, the, the cassette, everything will just wear out so much faster. So like strength is really important. Yeah, I've been surprised by how many brake pads I go through. And then I realized it's because I was doing so many steep downhill runs on a heavy bike. But like normally a place where I do two runs, I could do four or five. And then so I'm getting that. Much Just look at the rear wheel all the time. Yeah. And, and I'm going to step to like the suspension you can out. run like, but like suspension doesn't matter as much on these bikes. Like it's good to have nice suspension, but you don't need the highest end. Like I've been running some budget stuff to test. Um, and it's, I've run the same budget fork on a, a regular mountain bike and on the e-bike and the regular mountain bike, it's much more noticeable on the e-bike. It's like, oh, it's totally fine. Like doesn't bother me in the slightest and is that the extra weight just pushing through that through those any drawbacks there might be Mm -hmm. yeah i think one of the things that makes e-bikes kind of boring from an editorial standpoint is the most important thing is the motor it defines so much about the bike and there aren't that many major players right now so and the unfortunate thing there is most of them 
I mean, I, th- I feel like you guys might disagree with me, but they're kind of shitty. <laughs> they, they, they no, I agree with s- you. They have some issues. It's crazy. So I rode uh, most of our field test e-bikes for our, I needed to do this uh, rain. <laughs> I've tried to block it out. <laughs> battery testing, basically see how long the batteries lasted. So I just needed to climb a whole bunch and I would turn around and I would come back down and I would climb back up on our e-bike. So that gave me an opportunity to just basically do a whole ton of descending on these e-bikes. Jeez, they are so rattly. All of them, they're like rattly, loud. The specialized motor, it was like super whiny, like wee. And for the Shimano EP8 motors, I think it's that clutch down by the bottom bracket. Like every time I would go over a bump and the bike rotated around the bottom bracket, around the pedals, it would go I and all the little cables everywhere. I'm I'm blown away that the crap people put up with to make climbing easier, Kaz. I, yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. Like that, there are there is room for improvement. That EPA can be rattly. Like some bikes, it's weird because some of them come and it's super rattly, and other ones it's not. So something internally going on there. We mentioned it when we reviewed that one. It doesn't feel good. The thing is just super rattly, Kaz. If you if you could just let's just pretend you're at the top of the mountain magically. Like let's pretend there's some sort of apparatus you could ride to the top of the mountain without expending any energy. And then you're at the top and you can descend down. Would you rather descend on a normal bike or an e-bike? Um, like a downhill? I'd pick a downhill bike over all of them if I have this magic thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'd sure. pick a regular downhill bike. But okay. then, yeah, the nice thing, I mean, that's like kind of going back to before, the nice thing with these, you can pedal up without needing a shuttle or a yeah. chairlift. And like, I don't know, it's kind of, there, there are benefits. If you, you can access some of those shuttle zones and these bikes are capable enough to hit those things. Like it is different if you're hitting like big jumps, it can feel weird, especially if the motor power kicks off and you're like, <sighs> you go to pedal to get the extra speed and like, oh crap, but yeah. All right, and that sort of brings us to how e-bikes could be better and what they might look like in the future. Brian, what is something that you would like to see change on e-bikes in the future? How could these things be better? Yeah. Well, I mean, first, I agree with you that they are not good right now. They are decent. They're getting better fast. They're tractors. It's, it reminds me of the 90s in mountain biking where every performance, like every generation of things got dramatically better. Or, even you know, 2000s in free ride bikes or downhill bikes, like every new one was actually way better than the previous one. Just one thing, I, I mean, there's a few main areas where they're going to improve and i think it's there's sort of three two and a half major players and then a bunch of smaller ones um you know bosch and shimano are duking it out and right now i'd say shimano has the edge on mountain bikes and bosch has the edge on non-mountain bikes with e with e-bike motors um i'd like to see some of the bikes everybody you heard it here (laughs) no i'm i mean for like city bikes or yeah for commuter bikes commuter bikes that kind of thing (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's actually not mountain biking. That's yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for me, the biggest one is the brands are adamant that these are bikes, not motorcycles, which I personally agree with. But I believe very strongly that if they want to be bikes, I need to be able to work on them. Like, get the hell out of here with voiding the warranty because I had to make a tool to take the proprietary chain ring off to tighten a pivot bolt. Like, that is obscene to me. On the same sort of thing, I I think that we're really being held back by the crank stuff. 
Like, and you know, full disclosure in my former job at Rocky, um, I was really frustrated that we designed our own system, um, because it would have been way easier to plunk in a Shimano system. But I really do like that that Rocky Mountain system used a real crank set with a real like spin like BB spindle, like Octolink or whatever those things don't I don't think have a place on mountain bikes. Um, not that the Rocky Mountain system was perfect. I think I think they need to refine it, and I think they will. Um, but that, you know, it's all the lot crank of interface is holding it back. Like what's people, the issue there? Yeah. Just the way that they have uh, Shimano and Bosch and Broza and everybody have their mid motors down and take up the space where the cranks are means that the rear ends have to be a lot longer. Um, you have to use different suspension stuff and, um, and you can't use real cranks. You can't just use whatever you want for cranks. Um, and the Rocky one kicks that whole little thing forward and uses a drive gear in in the chain line, sort of like a high high pivot um, idler. In the place of an idler, you have the drive gear, and it lets you use a regular crank, which I think is nice. Yeah, Norco rotated the motor orientation to move it forward. They ran it like vertically instead of horizontally to get them more room. They still have super long chain stays, but yeah, and they're able to. And they still use the the spindle the is part of the part of the motor yeah. still yeah i think less than crank interface things i think the things that need to be improved are um display which seems silly mm-hmm. but like the display shimano's display just uses bars where you can when you ride a bike like the specialized i keep going back to that but i really do think that's the current best one um that one tells your battery percentage in percentage so when you're riding with a buddy with a specialized he's like i got one bar left and i can look down like oh, i got 30 percent left i'm good so that's a, it's a, seems simple. I'm a, I'd assume we'll see that in the future, but that'd be nice. I also think the little connecting wires should be either thicker or more protected. Cause I've definitely torn some wires from those displays and even from your control. Cause they're a lot of times they route underneath your grips. Mm-hmm. And if you, you're loosening the grip, you go to twist the grip and you just cut through your control cable. Like that's not ideal. So. Yeah. I would like to see way better integration. Shout out to specialized with their top two display thing. That thing is amazing. And it shows you the percentage Shimano's using, and other people are using this like plastic display that clamps onto your handlebar. Have you ever broken one of those with your knee, Kaz? Because it looks like I would smash them within the first 10 minutes of riding. No, I haven't broken it with my knee yet. But they're, yeah, they're, they're definitely more exposed than putting it in the bike itself, which yeah. seems like where things could go. Yeah, the, the integration on these things is embarrassing right now. Like all those little cables everywhere, um, the different on and off buttons everywhere. The displays are super hokey, but I think in the next five years, we're going to see some all sorts of stuff. I suspect we're going to see uh, wireless motors, Kaz, from somebody, a wireless control. I think that makes a ton of sense. We're going to see integrated displays like specialized in the top tube. Seb, what do you think we're going to see in the future? How are e-bikes or how should e-bikes change? in the future i think we're going to see um better batteries and cheaper batteries so e-bikes are like have a fair premium over um conventional bikes but um like the price of batteries went down by i think it went down by a factor of 10 between 2010 and 2020 like batteries are getting cheaper at quite a quite a rate so hopefully that'll translate into cheaper e-bikes they won't cost quite so much as they do now um and yeah, everything you said and more, like they 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 need to become a bit more refined. But um the 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 rate at which they're improving is pretty incredible. Like a couple of years ago the best e bikes were 
nowhere near as good as they are now. Mm-hmm. I don't think that there's a ton of weight to be taken out today. Uh, everybody would like to have lighter e-bikes. And, you know, I talked to a few industry folks. I think they figure there's a couple of pounds from like a full fat motor system that they could lose once they're fully optimized. Um, but I don't think that there's any crazy tech coming to make e-bikes, you know, two, only two pounds heavier than a regular, the equivalent regular bike. Um, and I think we'll see that tech coming a mile away from cars and laptops and stuff when, when it does come, but I don't think it's on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Like the, the energy density of the best kind of car batteries that you get in a car. So like the energy per kilogram is like, it's like 20, 30, 40% better than, than e-bikes. So like there is room for improvement, but it's, it's not going to be super dramatic. Like we're not going to approach the weight of a regular bike anytime soon, if ever, but I think the cost will come down. And I think that's an area where we will see improvement. Brian, you made some good points about e-bike racing and how much you hate it. What were, what were you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I'm such a, like on the non-product side, I don't think the future of e-mountain bikes is racing. I, I've said this a bunch of times, but is, you know, is the market, mountain bike marketing world so creatively bankrupt that the only way they know how to sell products is to put aging pros on them and chase down watered down rainbow stripes? Like... I know it's harsh, but e-mountain bikes became popular because of generalist mountain bikers, not the core bro mountain bikers who follow racing and stuff. Like, why is the industry trying to sell e-bikes with traditional mountain bike strategies when that's not how we got here? And I'm not saying people shouldn't race e-bikes. If it's got wheels, it should be raced and it's fun. You know, everybody should race all the things. But I just don't understand why we're pretending it's a grassroots core mountain bike thing. And and honestly, doing it at the like quote unquote elite level is is just it's a bit of a joke. Christoph Blevins got third place on an e bike, and he won the short track for regular yes. bikes. Oh, I thought many, that was cool. Did, I forgot to shout him out earlier. That's just going back to our news because good job, Christoph. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I do think at the elite level, e bike racing it's just silly. But I think at the grassroots level, e bike racing yes. probably does have some appeal. Like totally. So. It could be made to not be silly, though. Like, picture those guys, picture, like, Tom and Vanderpool and Nino going up the most ridiculous technical climb to the point mm-hmm. where it's, like, dangerous, Kaz. Like, st- like the climb is as scary as a descent, and but they're racing up it. I could see that being interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll grant you this. If, if the UCI brings back the hill climb in an e-bike category i'm in i would love to watch that <laughs> we need the log pole uci yes. log pole hill climb oh uh, yeah yes <laughs> i am i'm in 100 i'll take it all back yeah yeah hey before we get into reader questions i have a question for you guys how come we can't tune and tinker with these damn motors i think it's pretty silly to say that hey guys you can use a motor and battery but you're only allowed to cheat up to 25 kilometers per hour who decides that? Why do we listen to them? And have you guys ever de-restricted an e-bike? Kaz? Uh, I've ridden de-restricted ones, like commuter bikes, that you can move the speed sensor around so it goes faster, and it went really fast. Um, I, yeah, I mean, those rules, I'm not so concerned that they don't go fast enough because they definitely go fast enough for me. Like, obviously, people are going to tinker. Um, but yeah, it would be nice, even if for the motors if you had a little more access to kind of tune the motor profile, it's mm-hmm. you have to right now you have to be, a, yeah, you have to be an OE. And like, I know Shimano doesn't really like you to even get in there. Um, so it'd be nice if you could just kind of like 
play with that a little bit more. Nobody likes you to get in there. It's 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 all yeah. But but even for the companies themselves, like Specialized has been able to like work with bros because Specialized has their own like e bike division, and they could kind of tune that to their liking. But say you're starting Brian's bike shop, Specialized is not going to like you tweaking it. Or Brian's bike company doesn't like you to tweak it specifically for your bike. Like they want it. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, So it's a little. I'd like to see a little bit more of that where you can kind of really customize like. You know, Orbea did do it with the Rise, which is cool. They took that EP8 motor and made it into like a lighter weight thing um, mm-hmm. without going with a totally different motor. But yeah, I think more customization. There are options. Like if you open up the specialized, sorry, I keep saying the wrong thing. So many S words. <laughs> if you open up the Shimano app, you can tune it a bit, but it'd be cool to have more tuning options. What about you, Seb? Have you been on a de-restricted e-bike? No, I haven't, but I, I did ride a bike briefly that had uh, a higher assistance limit. I can't remember. I think it was like tuned for the Australian market where they have a higher uh, a speed restriction. And yeah, it was nice. You 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 chew through the battery a lot faster, though. So like you can kind of almost think of it as like a battery uh, preserver. Like if you go in 25 kph, it's like that's fast enough. Like do your own, like pedal your own way. Uh, and that, that makes the battery last longer, but... I think for mountain biking, it's fine. Like, it's plenty fast enough. It's just for, like, I wonder if we should make it higher just for commuter bikes. Like, I think it would make e-bikes more popular as, like, a car replacement if you could Mm -hmm. go, like, 20, at least 20 miles an hour, 25 miles an hour uh, with assistance, then more people would leave their cars at home, and I think that would be a good thing. Agree on that. And I I also think we got to cut the companies a little bit of slack on there being very... uh, uptight about people messing with the motors because there are so many uh regulatory hoops and hurdles to jump through and they could get absolutely slapped if they don't try at least make a good effort to try and keep people out from hurting themselves and burning their houses down and whatever else how long do we have e-bike trail police that like shoot your bike with a some sort of laser gun as you ride by to see if it's been de-restricted or not. And then they write you a trail ticket. (laughs) I I think a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) All right. So that was my question. But last podcast, I asked you guys to put all your e-bike questions in the comment section. And we got a whole bunch of good ones. And that's what we're going to do next to finish off this podcast. So the first one is from Cali Cartel. And it is about batteries, Seb. He says, all e-bikes should have removable universal batteries, i.e. not proprietary, and bike manufacturers should provide the weight, the bike weight, with and without battery. Yeah, I... It sounds like people are calling for a battery standard. (laughs) (laughs) What What do you think, Seb? Does that make sense? And do you think that could be something that will happen? Or do you think that companies want to use different size batteries all the time and different motors require different batteries like is it too complicated for that to happen um well to a certain extent it already is because like bosch and shimano each have only a few sort of internal batteries so like i don't know if if your mate has a a shimano e-bike and you have a shimano e-bike there's a good chance you'll be able to swap batteries if you wanted to um and you can find spares um so I, i don't see it being a huge problem um, as for quoting the weight without a battery, I, I don't really see the point cause you're never going to ride it like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what Henry said in his article that we talked about earlier, like it, it makes it more 
possible to innovate if you know you can ha have a new standard have a new battery size next year i think one thing that people are forgetting is that the batteries and their carriers especially weigh a lot and um doing doing the batteries in a in a system that was universal would probably weigh more than a battery that's not in a universal system so because it has if it has to be lowest common denominator and work for everybody then there'd be a lot of use cases where they need the extra weight or the extra clips to keep it from rattling or whatever else and i'm not sure i'm willing to do that i want to see battery tubes where you just it's like a flashlight battery. You just plunk in a million 18650s or whatever <laughs> up on, up against the spring and away you go. Like that, you could actually save a significant amount of weight um, and it would be non-proprietary, but you would probably burn your house down if you did it wrong. So <laughs> yeah, remember like when you're kids, you ever have like things that use D cell batteries, like those big yes. Ds yeah. and you have to like put them in there. <laughs> I'm picturing that just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Our next question is from Dragonfly. He says hub drives seem to be much more common, not to mention significantly less expensive on the commuter side of things, but he's yet to see one on a mountain bike. He says he knows that it would worsen the ride quality, more rotational weight, uh, less center of gravity in the middle of the bike, no access to the gears on the motor, but they are much less expensive. Uh, he goes on to say, "What do you? why do you think mid-drive e-bikes are dominating right now? And do you ever think we'll see a hub-drive e-bike? Dragonfly, I feel like you answered your own question there. Motors are heavy. And when you put them out at your rear axle, you're definitely going to notice that. You want that weight closer, centralized in the middle. Um, the hub drives are limited by the width of your dropouts. And your motor width has a lot to do with the amount of power that your motor can put out. Motor width is loosely correlated to amount of power you can you can generate. Um, so hub motors just often, without other compromises, can't produce as much power. Um, and just the unsprung weight um, is horrendous. It'll make your suspension feel like absolute crap. Yeah. And there's also the ability to switch the wheels back and forth between bikes. If you have a hub mounted motor, uh, you can't just be going to put that wheel on something else on your other e-bike or your friend's e-bike or, or whatever. So it makes some compatibility, it creates some compatibility issues as well. Yeah. And I think ultimately e-mountain bikes are still a hot, an expensive luxury kind of thing. And like once you've, once you're spending six grand on a mountain bike, the why would you take your six grand mountain bike and make it a crap e-bike rather than spending seven grand on an on a mid-drive e-bike mm -hmm. yeah all right next question is from silver stanchions i love his name that's oh that's amazing <laughs> we've answered this guy's questions before a few times i think brian this is a question for you he says how repairable are these things for the home mechanic? On my current bikes, I pretty much service everything myself because it's an enjoyable part of the hobby, he says. But he wants to know, is he going to be able to service the bearings in a Shimano motor bottom bracket thing when they inevitably need some attention? What if the control board on his seven-year-old bike stops working? So, Brian, is Silver Stanction screwed? Yes, this is one of the reasons that shops just love e-bikes. And honestly, I think that the e-bike has really saved 
the local bike shop in a lot of ways because it's made them irreplaceable again. Um, and I understand why the, I understand why the brands want to have certified service, etc. And so I don't know. I understand it, but yeah, it's super, super frustrating how non repairable they are for most people. Mm-hmm. And Brian, since I have you on the line here, and since you're the guy who's pushing 32 inch wheels on people, <laughs> ski boot one has an e-bike question for you specifically. When will we see 32-inch front tire mullet bikes with 29-inch rear ends for taller and better riders, he says? Better. I love that. Oh, that one's genetically engineered to piss everybody off. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I don't think it has anything to do with e-bikes. Um, and I don't know when we'll see 32-inch front wheels or front wheels and tires. Um, I'd certainly, not for me, but I think it's an interesting thing for taller riders. Tremier 023. We already touched on this a little bit, but he wants to know, would the PB crew agree that e-bikes are a backward step in preventing global warming? They're probably not a forward step, but I think we got other other fish to fry here, eh, Kaz? Yeah, I don't think that, like, riding your mountain bike is not preventing global warming either, your regular mountain biking, but mountain bike. So probably, like, get rid of your car and fly less. And there's a lot of other things besides deciding between an e-bike and a regular bike. I will say that Matt Ragg has an interest, interesting perspective on this. And an e-bike has really replaced a lot of his commuter bike stuff. And I think that there's something to be said. If you have a motor on a mountain bike versus a non-motorized commuter bike that you used to have, um, you can run a lot of errands on your e-mountain bike um, if you live in the south of France and don't have crime. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I do think that and I had, I borrowed one of those, uh, Trek SUV e-bikes for a while. And, um, and I, I got it. Like it made sense to go run some errands on the shore and ride a little bit of trail and then go take the kid out for a spin and whatever else. Like I do think that e-mountain bikes can replace some commuting stuff, which is probably better for the environment. Definitely. There's a lot of greenwashing going on in the industry, but can you blame them? They're trying to find any, any, it's their job to find a reason for people to buy the things. You don't have to believe them. Don't believe them. Yeah, th- there's a lot of people using e-bikes for commuting. So it's, um, yeah, I think that's a great thing. Uh, if you can use an e-bike instead of a car, then that's brilliant. Lando wants to know about what to prioritize when it comes to specs for e-bikes, Seb. How important is the motor quality, screen functions compared to suspension? And what about sizing? Should he err on the larger size of bikes if he's going to pick an e-bike? What do you think, Seb? Um, there's a lot in that question. I think, uh, as we said earlier, like um, prioritizing uh, things things in terms of like reliability, so like wheels and tires, because uh, otherwise you're going to replace those anyway. Um Drivetrains will wear out anyway, so don't worry about having like a nice chain cassette, uh, etc. Because they will wear out really fast. Um, what was the second part of the question about? Um, yeah, su- suspension, as we said, doesn't matter as much as it does on a regular bike. And in terms of sizing, personally, I would go for the same sort of sizing as I would on a regular bike. But there is an argument for going for a slightly smaller bike because it's inherently more stable. You're less likely to get kind of uh, kind of tripped tripped up by by bumpy terrain and what have you. So you could probably get away with a slightly smaller bike if that's what you want. 
Hey, Kaz, do you think we're going to get frame-only e-bike purchasing options at some point soon? So from my understanding, Muskegee Masher here says that that's not really a common thing. Why is that? And do you think that's going to change in the future for people who just want to build their own e-bikes? I think a lot of it has to do just with those controls like you were talking about. So a lot of these bikes are coming with the handlebars that have different holes in there so you can run the wires through to try to clean it up a little bit. So I think it's kind of a pain for them to sell that as its thing. And, and they also have to have the, you would need a, what else would you need? Well, you need the, the rotor or somewhere with that rear speed sensor. Um, there's like a lot of extra little things. You can make it happen if you ended up getting a, a bike and a motor together, but it's just, I don't think it's that easy. It's a legal thing. Um, uh, Bosch and Bosch definitely, and I believe Shimano as well, don't want to sell. You don't want you to sell a frame only thing. And I know like Bosch a few years ago made a big deal about offering up the their motors to small independent makers like frame manufacturers, but like one-off frame builders and stuff because that hadn't been done before. And it's a, yeah, it's a complicated, expensive and legally fraught thing. I, th- I think they really don't want you to do that. Um, I'm actually, I'm trying to buy, um, I want to buy an e-commuter like cargo bike thing and I, I want to build it and nobody will sell me it. Nobody will sell me one. So I've got a line. I think I can get one from somebody, but yeah, a bit, it's frustrating. You should do one of those ones with the gas motors. A lot of homeless guys around here have like <laughs> yes. cruiser bikes with gas motors on them. They just like put around really quick. At least they yeah. sound way better, Kaz. They sound cool. Yeah. Yeah. I just love those dudes who, uh, have all, you know, they've got all the ninja gear. They're all blacked out. They've got the sh- shades and whatever. They're just blasting crap music from their backpacks and hauling ass down the bike lane on a one way on a one wheel. So good. Yeah. Those guys don't give a shit. There are a whole bunch of one wheels in Squamish. I see them everywhere. <laughs> I see them in the city too. Guys with like motorbike helmets and they're just hauling ass. I feel like I'm in the future. They have like LED lights and shit on them. Like what year am I in? <laughs> Do you remember when we saw the guy on the little on the little hoverboard thing at uh, at the Taipei show? Just like he was, yes. a, he was a journalist and he was like cruising around to all the booths with with his camera out on the on the hoverboard. I was like, that we that are style. we're we're taxi cabs in an Uber world. Holy shit, he's gonna can, replace all of us. <laughs> can Pinkbike get a one wheel for something? No. Levy <laughs> <laughs> just skips e-bikes and goes right to one wheel and just gives up everything. He's the guy on the dirt on the single track on a one wheel. <laughs> I'm just going to say this. I would rather go one wheeling than ride an e-bike. Really? Have you yeah. ever ridden a one wheel? They look dangerous. I have not. I take it back. We're going to get you a one wheel, but you have to ride. <laughs> you have to ride 19th hole on a one wheel. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to send a video uh, guy. Up. A video guy. <laughs> Down in and out burger. <laughs> have you seen 19 lately? Is it barely ride it on two wheels, let alone one. <laughs> yeah. And with the one wheel to accelerate, you have to tip forward. So yeah. you're tipping that. Yeah. So it'll be a good video. We should get one for you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm game if we do it in a video. All right. We're going to end here with one last question. This is also from Muskogee Masher. And he wants to know motor preferences. Seb? Do you have a motor that you prefer? Do you prefer the Shimano motor or the Bosch motor? What's your preference? I think they both have pros and cons. Like, sorry to sit on the fence again, but um, yeah, the Bosch is a little bit more powerful and you can kind of notice that. So if you just want to get to the top of the hill quickly, I'd say the Bosch. The Shimano, uh, I'd say is a little more qu- a little quieter and a bit more intuitive. Like the, the power delivery is more sort of consistent. 
um, more proportional, I should say, to your power output. They're, they're both pretty similar now. Um, and then like the specialized motors, like the, I do like the, the little motor that they have in the, like the, the SL bikes. It's obviously com completely different, like way uh, subtler assistance, but that's very intuitive um, and very kind of proportionate to your input. So yeah, I, I honestly don't really have a favorite. I think I would probably go with, with Bosch out of preference if all else was equal, but I would basically, I wouldn't choose a bike based on it because they kind of, there's no clear winner for me. Really? They're, they're that close that you wouldn't choose a bike based on a motor. In my mind, the motors are such a defining part of the bike. We're talking about the highest end motors in each one. They all offer sort of some cheaper, lower performance ones, but mm -hmm. apples to apples on yeah, the highest totally. end, right? Uh, that's so, what I've been testing recently. So I don't really know so much about the lower end ones, but uh, like the Shimano EP8 versus the, the Bosch equivalent, I think they're... They have pros and cons, but I wouldn't say one is better than the other, personally. All right. Kaz, do you have a motor preference? Yeah, I go with the Specialized for this one, that Brozo that they have, just a lot because of how quiet it is. And I, for the power delivery, it's a little bit different than compared to the EP8, but I find it's a little smoother. So if you're climbing up something, it doesn't seem like it has quite as much of a kick, so you can kind of like keep your traction. Like I've done back-to-back -back laps on a really nasty climb, and I could get higher up using that that motor i mean obviously it's a different bike too so it's not really completely even comparison but um yeah i've been really happy with that but like like seb said it's not as huge of a deal like the the bosch and the ep8 are they're fine but for me the the bros are just the quietness and all that works better for me so what is a huge deal then if if i'm going out i've got somehow i have 10 or twelve thousand dollars to spend on a, on a on an e-mountain bike what are some of the things that I should be looking at? What are the big factors? Battery, battery size. What you want? Well, first you want to decide what you want to do with it. But like, it's one of those things we're talking about. If you have two two buddies going out, one has a a full power bike and a not full power bike. Well, the other thing that can happen is if you guys both go out and then one has a big battery and one has a little battery, mm -hmm. that person's going to get sad quicker than you are. So, you know, we're starting to see more and more bikes with more battery power, and some companies offer different ones, but. Um, but if you think you want to go on longer rides, like a 700 watt hour or greater batteries is pretty nice to have. You could save weight by going with 500, but I, knowing you and knowing that you probably want longer rides, I think you would run out of that one pretty quickly. What about you, Brian? Is there a motor preference that you have and why? Uh, I think I said before, like the Bosch's are more powerful. So for around town or today, they're more powerful. So for the city bikes or SUV bikes or cargo bikes and stuff, I think I'd go Bosch. Um, I think I'd go Shimano right now for the, for the mountain. They, they do feel more natural. Um, and I think both have excellent service, uh, because you're so tied to your service. And I think that's one thing that maybe we should mention to people is whatever your local shop can service, that's probably the one you should get because it is super frustrating how, how tied into service shops you are with the current systems. Um, and I think that's one of the mm -hmm. downsides of some of the, why we haven't seen more upstarts like that Rocky mountain system come into the space because you, you make the motor, but then you got to be responsible for a lot of after sales support or because you can't let people electrocute themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised I didn't electrocute myself at the field test, to be honest. It was very wet for a couple of those days. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think for me, so I, I definitely have more limited experience on e-bikes compared to these two or three guys here. Uh, for me, I have a hard time getting past that that rattle in the EP8 motor. And I kind of like, I almost like the whine of the specialized motor cas. Like, you know how electric cars make, they make a noise and it's it's a very different noise, but it it's a noise. Kind of in the same way, that specialized motor, the gear whine is like, it makes me feel like I'm riding like a Tesla or something out there, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I can see it. I think you could block that out better than you can the clunking, the rattly clunking. Yes. I'm the other way. I can't. I'd rather have, but we're going back. Right? We're Now we're debating a lightweight bike versus a full power bike yeah. too. But if they were the same, if one yeah. made a whine and one made a clunk, you, you think you'd take the clunk over the whine? Yeah, because the clunk is only sometimes and the whine is the whole time I'm pedaling up a hill. Oh, the clunk is so annoying, though. It feels like my cranks are loose. Yeah, but you were, you're you just riding dirt roads, Levy. I was doing the climbing you, thing. I feel it on the trail, too. I took a good you feel little it, bit but it's not trick. As, it's not as noticeable, I find, when you're like on an actual rough trail because you're, yeah. you're focusing more on other stuff. But it's there. I don't, I'm not saying that the clunk shouldn't go away. I would like it to go away. But um, I've found some bikes, it's not really too much of an issue. Yeah. In the electric car world right now, there's a big conversation about noise and artificial noise. And we're seeing some cars make create their own artificial noise. And I wonder, just to go back to our future of e-bike discussion, I wonder if maybe we'll see, maybe like you could add some sort of like code in hop up feature where you can, you can add any kind of noise you want when you're pedaling. So instead of it going, it goes like, I don't know, it makes real motorbike noises. Maybe who knows? (laughs) Can we have a Lamborghini, (laughs) make the Mike Levy noises of Levy yelling at you? Come on, uh, faster! No, <laughs> that would be the worst. It's like a virus. If your e-bike gets a virus, it's harder. Like <laughs> Is the? I okay. mean, they could just they could just come with little uh, little noise canceling headphones for you, tuned to there that frequency. Go. Yeah, yeah. All right, so that is it for our e-bike podcast. We're still going to answer some questions about e-bikes, so if you have any, put them down in the comments below, and we'll get to them. But as always, we're going to end with comment gold. This one was on the World Champs article. Minar won again. Jay Vance says, irony, Minar losing time due to, the high, due to the high seat position because his seat tube had to be long enough to list all his World Champ medals. If you guys didn't see it, in our World Champs coverage, you could see his frame. He had a custom paint job and he had every year that he won a medal at World Champs on the little stubby part of his V10 seat tube. Enduro NZ says, I too have a list on my seat stay of all the medals he has won. Seat stay is pretty <laughs> low, so he doesn't he doesn't need much room. And then M Langstrom says, that's why I don't even need a seat tube. My saddle is just above the bottom bracket. I guess M Langstrom hasn't won any world champ medals. There you go. All right, everybody. That is it for our e-bike podcast. We'll see you next week. <laughs>